and um, yeah, just all round great guy, my friend, my ex boss, and um, no, I was gonna make a fart joke, but I think it's weird enough. So, introducing Sonic Reeve, everybody. Um, great to have a small crew of us here tonight um, and um, yeah uh, things are going to be a little bit um, different tonight um, but a few things before we crack into it um, so this leaders retreat that we've been on for the weekend some of you um, some people ask me who are um, hey Nathan how about you take a seat over there mate um, this leaders retreat that we've been on, some of you are probably like, oh, who are our leaders? Um, and there's kind of two things that Blueprint never talks about that most churches do, which are like how to give money and leaders, and I promise that we'll talk about those a lot more soon. Um, we did take a photo of all of us um, in equal measure, um, and um, yeah, and we just had this wonderful time together. Like, it's been a long time for me since I've been in a, a place of worship and prayer, where it's just like, whoa, where did that like, where did that two hours go? Like, and just like, just you know, amazed by the presence of God and just the the places that we were led by God's Spirit. Um, we're like probably one of the things I did not expect to to end up on the agenda was like, um, I think it was Friday night. We just had like a solid twenty minutes interceding for a rise conference. <laughs> like, it was just like, and that's just where we were led, you know. And, um, and then just like following on from that, this time of like God asking us to like honour and acknowledge where um, the things that have blessed us in the past. I think it can be really easy in our age and stage to have like a lot of fire and anger to um, some of the kind of stuff in church that hasn't been good. And just this, this process of like honouring um, the good and kind of um, forgiving the bad. Um, there's just some really beautiful stuff that, that happened. And I think maybe I'll... Um, I'll flick up an article in the next few days just on the Blueprint Facebook page so that anyone who wants to know what came out of that can kind of see what we talked about. A big part of what drove our conversation was the Blueprint AGM or SSBM thing we ran um, like a couple of months ago. Um, And so, um, yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, Just a little bit of a a shape-up of where we're going for the next few weeks. Uh, Next week there won't be a speaker. Uh, The crew who recorded the album are just going to, like play through a bunch of it, is that right? Start to finish, yeah. Yeah, so it's just going to be like a big like worship music night that's going to be really cool, um, and so I don't know quite how that's going to happen, I'm actually going to be away, um, but, um, but I think we're going to clear chairs and just make a bunch of space, and, um, and it's just going to be a really beautiful night of worship, um, and um, celebrating um, that thing coming out, and, um, and all the beauty that, that there is in that. Straight after that, um, Rose and I have been talking for a while and, uh, and we, we feel and, and we've been hearing from Cindy Ruokiri when she came down that um, there is a real sense of God's spirit but beginning to do something new um, here at the moment um, and, um, and you hear that in people like Richard saying like, yeah, I was a bit cynical but I'm starting to like hear these words from God that I think like a lot of us are being awakened at the moment. One thing that often precedes a move of God is um, repentance and naming our idols. And so Rose and I, the week after, so this is two weeks from now, we're going to spend three weeks basically talking to idolatry. Um, yay. <laughs> like, that's, that's how you fill a church service, eh? Hey? Um, 
But, um, but we're kind of going to start at, like, what is the nature of idolatry? Um, the week after that, we're going to look at, like, what it looks like for us to walk faithfully alongside Jesus in an idolatrous culture. Um, and then at the end of that, we're going to name some of those, those idols in the third week. The reason we want to do that is um, we just want, like, everything God has for us as a community. Um, and, um, and that means naming some of the stuff that, um, that, that gets in the way. Um, and, yeah, I don't want to give, give away too much, but um, what I don't want to see happen out of it, and we've talked about a bunch, is we do not want this to be one of those things where everybody feels they have to go home and try harder and life hack all the things they should or shouldn't be doing. Like, that's not what this is about, and that's often where these conversations seem to go sometimes, eh? It's like, everybody goes home and tries harder. And, like, you know, and, um, but it's actually, like, it's bigger than that. Um, and so... Um, Looking forward to that, and I would encourage you, if you can be along for three weeks in a row through that, like, you know what, next week's going to be great too. Why don't you just be here every week for the next month? Like, why don't we just do something crazy for once? Um, and, uh, um, yes, and then the final thing um, just for tonight, uh, the word we had before the service, uh, we, we found over the last few weeks as we pray before the service that God has more and more been showing us um, what the enemy is up to and what dark things are going on. And not so that we can focus on those things, but so that you know, we believe that where God's light comes, all darkness must go. And so it's been an opportunity for us to go, okay, what is the, like, what is the darkness? What will hold us back from, um, from really encountering God? And, um, and let's like, just invite God's light and his grace and his truth to just blow that away. Um, and so um, one of the things we, we found felt for tonight was the sense of apathy, um, that we are in winter, um, and uh, sometimes we arrive here kind of in winter, it's a smaller crew of us, and we can arrive kind of going, all right, if I can just get through this next hour and a half, that'd be real good. Um, but, um, but I would challenge you like not to sit here in that spirit tonight, because I think God wants to do something, and I don't want our apathy or our complacency um, to, to miss an opportunity for, for God um, to do something powerful. The picture I had was like, I don't know if anyone's ever had, um, I'm sure everyone's done this, but have you ever done this dumb thing where you like run a bath while you're sitting in it? Okay, like, yeah. Um, and it's like kind of horrible, like because you're basically like, you know, the, like trying to keep that temperature right the whole way up and you just spend a whole bunch of time cold waiting for this thing to be right. <laughs> Um, I kind of felt like that was the picture for what our, our leaning into the spirit is going to be tonight, um, is that there's probably going to be some time of cold awkwardness um, and, um, and to, to, to be patient um, and we might wait in silence a bit. Um, so I'm going to do something quite different tonight. I'm currently covering in the mornings for eight weeks at St Luke's in Wadestown, which is giving me my traditional education, um, full white robes. Um, dog collars, the whole thing, like the whole service comes from the prayer book and I uh, always have to have someone jabbing me in the ribs telling me how to do it. Um, and, uh, and one of the things that they do in their services is like, you know, here we have like the 25 minute rant, like just like, like drop some stories, you know, let's have a few laughs. Um, some of your more traditional Anglican churches, what they do is the 10 minute homily. Um, so rather than 25 minutes like us, it's like 10 minutes and it's got to be like sharp and short and it's kind of like a lecture, like you write it all down. So that's what I've been doing alongside preaching at Blueprint. 
with on Tuesday the launch of the album and then writing a talk for Wadestown and then being away all weekend, I didn't have time to write two talks. So just full disclosure. Um, so um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to homily you guys tonight. Is that cool? Um, and what that means is that the, the sermon is over in like 12 minutes. Yeah. Um, and um, and one of the things with a homily is it's like pretty dense sometimes. It's like um, there's like a lot of content real quick. And, and one of the things I often think about a sermon is not everything's going to resonate with everyone. Um, but there might be one thing that particularly hits home with you. Um, and so because um, this is going to be a little less uh, performy, I just um, invite you to engage with this however you want. Um, if you want to close your eyes and listen in, then you can do that. Um, and um, just be different. It's going to be fun, eh? <laughs> Alright. <clears throat> um, so first up, what I need is um, someone to read the scripture for this week. Does someone have their seasonal guide with them in their bag? Come on, church. Someone has, has that sitting in their bag. Not one of you? My word. Sorry? Yeah. Oh, good job. All right, Tommy, can you stand up where you are and can you read? And, uh, <laughs> and if you go to like near the back. Yeah, week 10. You found it? You got it? Okay, is there a scripture there? There's two. Oh yeah, so is it John 21 to 2 and 11 to 18? Okay, great. Here we go. Um, so, uh, Tommy, why don't you um, read that for us? John 21 to 2, to start. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. John 20, 11 to 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. She asked, he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and carried and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni? Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with her news. <coughs> I have seen the Lord. And she told them that she had, that she had said these things to her. Cool. Thanks, Tom. All right, let's homily. Um, here we go. So feel free to close your eyes or do whatever you, you want to do, but listen up. Um, last week, we talked about the execution of John the Baptist. His disciples took the dishonoured prophet's body and courageously snuck him away to receive a proper and honourable burial, despite the personal risk associated with showing themselves as the disciples of a criminal. 
A passage from John 20, which Tommy read, begins in a similar tone. With Mary coming to the tomb of the dishonoured Christ while it was still dark to dress the body and lay herbs upon it. There's something special about Mary. She is not, despite popular opinion, the same Mary who poured perfume on Jesus' feet. Not a prostitute, but likely a sufferer of severe and debilitating mental health trauma, perhaps suffering from bipolar or borderline personality disorder. In Luke 8, we hear that Jesus delivered seven demons from her. This is a woman whose life has been thoroughly transformed by Christ. She was made free and she would never be the same again. We know that Mary lived in perpetual gratitude for what Christ had done for her. She was his closest female follower. All four Gospels agree that Mary was present at the crucifixion, watching as Christ bled and died, and here she is again at the tomb. Now we here at Blueprint have a friend who's let me share his story named Alicia. And I think Alicia and Mary would be good friends. Alicia lives in the community we are part of, and Alicia has struggled with her mental health too. This means life can be hard for her. It's sometimes hard for her to believe that people are really on her side. It's hard for her to believe that people are really her friends. This means sometimes life can be hellish for Alicia. But four or five years ago, Jesus came into Alicia's life, and even though her trauma didn't go away, everything changed. Through his love, she began to believe she was lovable. Through the church, she was able to find family. Alicia means it when she says, pardon my French, if it weren't for God, I'd be fucked. (laughs) And the healing Christ has brought to her has been so powerful that she follows him passionately and wholeheartedly. She has become, like Mary, a witness to the grace, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Mary and Alicia would make great friends. When Jesus met Alicia, he gave her life back to her. And Alicia has responded to this grace by giving her life back to Christ again. And that's the same thing that happened with Mary. Jesus gave Mary her life back, and Mary gave it straight to him. That his will would be done in her, that she would be a vessel of his life, light, and presence. Alicia and Mary say the same thing we say at Eucharist, that we are thankful that Christ has been taken, blessed, broken, and given for us, and we respond by asking God to take our lives back, bless them, break them, and give them away for a broken world. Jesus gave Mary her life back when he healed her. And Mary responds by giving her life back to Jesus, saying, I'm with you no matter what. And so having experienced firsthand the healing that Christ offers, Mary must have found it agonizing to stand at the cross and watch the one who healed her, apparently unable to heal and rescue himself. The naive hope of a liberation movement led by Jesus has been extinguished. And so she practices this palpable grief by coming each day to the tomb and dressing the dead body of the one who restored life to her own body. And there were many hints in this moment that something more powerful than death was at work. 
Much, much earlier in the scriptures, in Exodus 37, God was made manifest to the people of Israel through this thing called the Ark of the Covenant, a wooden box embossed with gold, which was to carry the very presence and power of God. On top of it was a seat for God called the Mercy Seat, where God was said to dispense mercy and atonement. The passage tells us of the one who made it. He made two angels from hammered gold, and placed them on the two ends of the atonement cover. He moulded the angels on each end of the atonement cover, making it all of one piece of gold. So in Exodus 37, we have here a place where the presence of God gives mercy, and at either end of that box, there are stationed two angels. And here in the middle of our passage for today, in verse 11, we are told that as Mary wept, she looked over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the end. There was a clue here for Mary that the angels were flanking a place of mercy and atonement, that something bigger was at play here. And if that were not enough, there are the many times Jesus explicitly spoke of his death and resurrection. In Matthew 16, it says, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now Mary isn't mentioned as much as the other disciples, because it wasn't a good time to be a woman, but she was key to this Jesus movement. She was definitely there when Jesus taught. In some traditions, Mary Magdalene is called the Apostles' Apostle. So she had heard many times Jesus talk of his death and resurrection. But somehow, here she is at the tomb, wondering why this horrible thing has happened. She is so deep in her grief, so deep in death, that she can't even comprehend the notion of a resurrection. I remember hearing this great story a few years ago about a young girl. Some of you will have heard this before. And she was in a house with her dad, and her dad was trying to teach her about the omnipotence and the omnipresence of God. And she he said, God is everywhere. And she said, really? He said, yes. She said, is God in this house? She said, yes, God is. He said, yes, God is in this house. She said, is God in this kitchen we're standing in? She said, yes, God is in the kitchen. She says, is God in this cup that I'm holding? He says, yes, God is in the cup you're holding. And she flips it over and says, got him. This is what Mary did, and it's what humanity does. We capture a little piece of God and claim it as the entirety of him. We wrap these little fragments of God up in our pain in our present moment and forget that our tiny shrub is part of a much larger forest, that our little wave is rocked in a body of water called the ocean. And often when God moves, our vision has become so myopic that we cannot perceive him at work. So it is that the risen Lord is standing right beside Mary. The answer to her grief is right in front of her, but she is so committed to this narrative of death that she can't make room for the abundant life just a foot away from her. She mistakes Jesus for the gardener. So what is it that lifts Mary beyond her grief and her narrative of death? What is it that gives her hope again? What is it that allows her to no longer see a gardener but to recognise the risen Lord? To understand that, I want to look for a moment at one of Mary's good friends, P- 
Peter. Peter's one of my favourites because he never seems to get it right. In Matthew 4, we hear the account of Jesus' first meeting with Peter. He finds Peter by the shore tending his nets and handling fish. He invites him, leave your job, leave your family, leave your home, come and follow me. And Peter, shocked by the fact that a rabbi would invite him, a common tradesman, says, yes, I will follow you. And in that journey, like Mary, his life is transformed. But as we know, along the way, Peter doesn't often get it right. And this culminates with the crucifixion of Jesus, where Peter is not witnessing this with Mary, but denying three times that he ever knew Jesus. The guilt and the shame must have been powerful, enough to have never wanted to see Jesus ever again. And yet in John 21, Jesus rises from the dead and appears to Peter. And where does he come to him? Back at the shoreline where Peter is cooking fish. Right back where they started, and he offers him the opportunity to start again. When we lose sight of God in the midst of our narrative of death, God is often right back where we left him. At the place where he first called us and transformed our lives, just like he did for Mary, just like he has for Alicia, just like he did for Peter. And so often we find ourselves like Mary, so deep in the narrative of death, witnesses to the crucifixion that we don't even notice the gardener next to us is the risen Lord. And what is it that Jesus says to her to open her eyes? He says, Mary. He says her name, Mary, Mary, Mary. I wonder if those were the same words he said to her after she was set free during her seven deliverances. Whether she heard Jesus calling her name amidst the haze of pain and confusion. And then she rose from the floor and saw the face of Jesus staring back at her, full of love and grace and mercy, saying, Mary, Mary, Mary. When we can no longer see Christ anymore, he calls us back to him the same way he did when he first called us, by our name. And then he heals us. He gives our lives back to us and he waits for us to return the life he has given back to him as an act of holy worship. So what I want to do tonight is consider where it might have been that we first met Christ, where he called us by name. And I want us to allow his presence to become clear to us again and from that place to surrender our lives afresh to him, to be given our lives so we may give them back to him.